0: Comes to the Christian life, we should always come to God's Word and see what God's perspective is on any issue that we have to deal with. And, you know, as you, I'm sure, are aware, there's a lot of different perspectives, different ideas when it comes to different issues. And, you know, as Christians, we always needed to say, hey, God's perspective is right and any other perspective is wrong. And so the one that I'm going to follow is always going to be what God's Word clearly says. But we're faced with an issue, a problem sometimes is what happens when we have an issue, when we're um, dealing with something and we come to the Word of God and we find that God's Word is silent. Or God's word isn't clear on that thing that, you know, now we're wondering how should we conduct ourselves? How should we live in that way? Uh, and so, you know, we don't have God's word to come back and say, okay, well, here's his clear perspective. This is clearly what is right. This is clearly what is wrong. This is clearly black and white here. All of a sudden now we're in this gray area. We're not sure. You know, for some of it, it's like completely silent. For other things, it's just not as clear. And now we're placed in a position where what do we do? when that happens and there's those gray areas and and we have a particular view on an issue that the Bible's not clear in and then some other believer has an opposing view, a different view on that same issue that the Bible isn't clear on and we have to ask ourselves, how do we respond to that person? How do we treat that person? How do we deal with someone who differs with our opinion on a particular view that the Bible doesn't really address? You know, how do we deal with that as believers. Now there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with other Christians on issues that the Bible isn't clear on. The the problem comes with how you do that. You know, how is it that you're going to disagree? How is it that you're going to treat them? You know, because oftentimes our disagreements keep us from loving. You know, last week we looked at that important reality of with everyone in our life, we need to love them as Christ loved us. But so often when people disagree with us, instead of loving them, we find ourselves judging them, we find ourselves despising them, we find ourselves doing things that just bring problems to our relationships. You know, I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've found that there's a lot of divisions. There's a lot of arguing, there's a lot of legalism within the body of Christ on issues that the Bible doesn't even really address, on issues that aren't clear as to what God would desire in that area. And so when it comes to these things where the Bible's not clear on that we disagree with others in, the problem's not really the issue, the problem is how we treat the other person who differs with our opinion. The Roman believers of Paul's day, just like us today, had many issues that, you know, the Bible doesn't clearly address that they struggled with because they had differing opinions. And, and there's two issues that Paul brings to light. And he's bringing them to light just as an example because, you know, what he's going to do is show these two examples, but also he's going to share some principles. And the principles that he's going to share are really for any issue that the Bible doesn't address. But the issues that he are going to, he's going to deal with are, you know, the issues of what should they eat and what days were they to observe. Some of the Christians in that time believed that all Christians should only eat vegetables. While other Christians believed you could eat whatever you wanted. There were some Christians who believed that you must do certain things on certain days and observe them on those days in order to be godly and spiritual. While other believers felt like every day was important and you could do things on any day that you wanted. Now, many of these believers who disagreed with one another, you know, on these issues where the Bible's not clear, they started to judge one another, they started to despise one another, they started to be unloving in their relationships with one another, and that is not the godly response that they should have had, that we should have, and so, you know, these two issues of what you should eat or what days to observe, they might not be big issues in your life. You might not find yourself debating other Christians or angry with other Christians or judging other Christians on these two particular areas. But the principles that Paul is going to share with us, those principles are the ones that we need to draw from and realize that within any area of life where we have issues where the Bible's not clear on, and we differ with other believers, these principles are the things that we should put into practice in our life. And I just want to give you some examples of things that have been debated among Christians for many years that the Bible's not clear on, and maybe as I throw this out, some of you might be like, really, the Bible's not clear on that? Because I see so many people so adamant that their view is so right, but yet we don't know, because the Bible doesn't address it. We have two views. Some who think you should never do it. Some who think it's fine to do. Should Christians go to the movies? Over the years, that's been a huge thing. Many people say, no, you are super ungodly if you do that. Another they saying, no, it's fine. Should Christians dance? Should Christians listen to secular music? Should Christian men have long hair? Should Christian women have short hair? Should Christians have body piercings? Should they get tattoos? Should they play cards? Should they smoke? Should they only use the King James Version of the Bible? Should they have a glass of wine with their meal? Should they wear a suit and tie in their best on Sunday? Or should they be okay to wear jeans and a shirt? Should they date? Should they send their kids to public school or should they homeschool them? And the list goes on and on of things that Christians have this you know very, very strong opinion on. And there's nothing wrong with having an opinion on this, but just realize the Word of God is not addressing these issues clearly. And so we need to understand that we should never be dogmatic when the Bible's not dogmatic. We should never think that my view is the only possible view here when the Word of God isn't clear on that issue. And so Paul's now going to share with us principles. Okay, when you have these issues, the Bible's not clear, but yet there's clearly a difference of opinion between two believers. How do you deal with that? More importantly, how do you deal with each other? And that is what these principles are going to deal with. Now, Of the ten relationships that Paul deals with in chapters 12 through 16, he actually spends the most time on this one. All of chapter 14 and three verses of chapter 15. And so it's a long section. He has a lot to share about this. And because it's a long section, we're going to break it up into two different teachings. This morning, we're going to look at the first four principles that Paul shares with us. For how we should treat others who disagree with us. And I want to keep emphasizing on areas where the Bible is not clear. Because there's a whole different way in which you deal with things when the Bible is clear. It's obvious that there is a right way and a wrong way when God makes that clear. And we need to hold to that and stand for that. And that's why I started with that. of The Word of God should always be what we come back to for truth, for what's right, for what's wrong. But when we have this one area of gray, when the Word of God hasn't been clear, now what do we do? And this is what we're going to be looking at, principles of how to address those things. And so starting in verse 1 of chapter 14, we're told this. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Throughout this chapter, Paul is going to be speaking about two different types of believers. There's going to be a weak believer, and there's also going to be the strong believer. And he's going to be sharing with us the reality that these two different groups view things that the Bible isn't clear on in different ways. And now, how do you deal with one another? How do you treat one another? Now, when Paul says someone is weak, he's not saying they are weak in their basic Christian faith, that they're this super, you know, ungodly, unspiritual person. He is saying they are weak in their understanding of what their Christian faith permits them to do. They are weak in their understanding of the liberty they have in Christ. So this isn't a blanket statement of their weakness in general. Man, these are just some super unspiritual people. They just don't understand the liberty they have, the freedom they have, the permission they have to do certain things as believers, and so they're more legalistic, they're more rigid in certain views where the Bible isn't clear. And Paul's going to tell us these are the ones that say Christians should only eat vegetables. And if you eat anything more than that, you meat eaters, you are ungodly. They're the ones who are going to say, there are certain days where we must celebrate certain things, and if you don't celebrate these certain things on these certain days, then you are ungodly. They're kind of the ones who hold the more legalistic view because they have a weak understanding of what their Christian faith, what their liberty is in Christ. So these believers, they can be strong in other areas of their Christian life. They can be those who have strong marriages. They can be those who you know do a lot of great things. He's not saying that in a blanket statement of weakness, but in this particular area of understanding the liberty that they've been given in Christ, they don't. They're weak in that area. Now when Paul speaks of those who are strong, he's not just saying, man, these are super spiritual giants. He's speaking of their strength in this particular area of their understanding of the what's permitted, of the liberty that they have in their relationship with Jesus. And so these are the ones, when it comes to eating, they realize, I can eat what I want. These are the ones, when it comes to celebrating certain days, that they realize, you know what, all the days are, are just as important. There's not one that I have to do this particular thing on this particular day. And so they have a strength in this area of understanding the liberty They have in Christ. Now, these same believers who are strong in this one area can be weak in other areas. They can be struggling in other areas, but they they see this liberty, and oftentimes that's the case, where they recognize liberties, but oftentimes abuse them, and oftentimes show a a lack of strength in in some other areas of love, uh, particularly. So, as Paul speaks about these weak and strong believers, he's going to give specific challenges to each one. As you strong believers, this is how you should deal with those who don't understand their liberty quite like you do. And you who are weaker in your understanding of the liberties and are more rigid and are more legalistic, this is how you should deal with those who live life with more freedom than you do. And so Paul starts with addressing the strong believer who understands his liberty. And his challenge to the strong believer is this. Receive those who are weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. The Greek word translated receive means to take as one's friend or companion to receive someone into your life. And so Paul is saying, hey, to you guys who are in this category of strong in the sense of you understand your liberties, you're living out your liberties, you need to be willing to receive those who are weak in that area those who don't see that liberty, those who maybe judge you because they think that you are taking liberties that you shouldn't, you need to be willing to receive, to befriend, to bring those people into a relationship with yourself. And you know, I'm sure that if you've had someone in your life who is more of a legalistic, rigid individual and they look at you in a particular area of your life and they think, how dare you do that? That's so ungodly for you to go to the movies or so ungodly for you as a man to grow your hair or how dare you not wear, you know, your best on Sunday and be in a suit and tie or whatever, you know, kind of their issue is that they feel like this is something that everybody must do. It can be hard for us sometimes to want to befriend them and to receive them because they're like, I don't want to be judged by you and looked down upon because of a liberty that I am exercising. But Paul says, you know what? Don't reject them. Don't push them away. Instead, receive them, befriend them, invest in them. But notice he adds something, which I think is so important. He says, now make sure you do this for the right reason. Because there's a wrong reason for you and I, as those with the liberty, to say, oh yeah, I'll spend time with that person who doesn't recognize their liberty. I'll spend time with them to show them how wrong they are. I'll show them that they need to be more like me. And that's why he says, don't receive them for the sake of disputing with them regarding doubtful things. The Greek word here translated doubtful means to be uncertain unsure or hesitant about something. So what Paul is saying here is don't receive those who are weak in the faith just so you can dispute with them and debate with them over things that you're not sure about anyway. Well why wouldn't we be sure about them? Because the Word of God isn't clear. This is a whole issue that we're dealing with now. And so in this gray area, Don't just say, well, I feel this way and so I am happy to have a relationship with you for the purpose of me showing you how you should believe, what you should think. You know, just kind of you know having that be the goal of convincing them that they're wrong and that we are right. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't let that be the reason why you receive them. Instead, do it out of love because they're a brother and they're a sister in Christ. Do it in a genuine, loving way. Ray Steadman said this about receiving a weak believer. To accept a weak believer, of course, means that regardless of where you may struggle with someone and about what you may struggle, you must realize that they are brothers and sisters in the family of God. You did not make them part of the family of God. The Lord did. Therefore, you are to accept them because they are your brothers and sisters. And you are not to accept them with the idea of immediately straightening them out in the areas in which they are weak. I think that this is a very necessary practical admonition because many of us love to argue. And sometimes the first thing we want to do is straighten somebody out. Sadly, that's kind of the heart of a lot of us. And it's one thing when you're saying, okay, I want to share with someone what the Word of God clearly says and they're in sin and they're not doing what's right. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about areas where the Word of God isn't clear. And so we're dogmatic and thinking, I have the only right way and I am going to show you how wrong you are. Paul's saying, hey, on these areas, that shouldn't be our mindset. We're always going to have people we disagree with on areas where the Bible isn't clear. And so, we need to make sure we don't let those disagreements keep us from receiving brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first principle for how we should treat others who disagree with us on issues where the Bible's not clear is we need to receive those we disagree with, not to dispute with them, but to befriend them. We need to make sure that we don't make seeing things my way a requirement for fellowship. And you know, I've been in ministry for a while now, and this is one of the things that saddens my heart because I see it so much. I will not fellowship with you unless you see things my way biblically. This is such a common thing that I see with so many Christians. And especially how silly it is when it comes to these areas where the Word of God isn't clear. You know, I think it's so important for us to realize, you know, if you were to go on to most Christian church denomination websites, you were to look at their doctrinal statement, you would realize on every major doctrine, you are in complete agreement with almost every denomination. There are a few exceptions, but almost all denominations, the major doctrines were in complete agreement. It's minor issues that we disagree on. there's nothing about God, his nature, salvation, those aren't the things that that we' we're, we're disagreeing on and many of these disagreements are on things the Bible doesn't even address at all. you know the order of service, I've seen so many people get so upset of like I-, I can't fellowship with you. you go to a church that has a different order of service, you know you have worship at a you know a long stretch of time and your teaching's different or whatever. Hey, you sing hymns. I can't fellowship with you. Well, you sing contemporary worship songs. I I can't do that. I only want to hear an organ or or you come to church in a suit and and you in jeans and you know some of these things are just so silly, but yet have caused this division where people say, "You know what? Since you don't see it my way, then, you know, take a hike. I'm not going to fellowship with you because you can't see the way that I see, and that is not the heart of God." And I think it's just been sad how much there's been a lack of unity in the body of Christ over these issues that should never divide us. Kent Hughes says this about how the strong should receive the weak. The one whose faith is weak is not weak in basic Christian faith, but is weak in assurance that his faith permits him to do certain things such as eating meat. These weak are to be wholeheartedly accepted. They are not to be accepted with the ulterior motive of straightening them out. There is to be no phony condescension on the part of the strong, no hidden agenda, but rather simple, unqualified acceptance. We need to be those Christians who are willing to receive those who disagree with us, not to dispute with them, but to befriend them. The second principle that Paul gives us for how we should treat others on areas where the Bible isn't clear is in verses 2 and 3. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So now Paul shares this first illustration, this first issue that he brings as an example of uh, an area where the word of God isn't clear, but yet Here we have these disputes and different views from Christians. And that was centered around what could they eat. And so there was two different thoughts about what they could and what they couldn't eat. Uh, There were those who believed that you could eat anything you wanted. And then there was another group that believed that you could only eat vegetables. And notice who Paul says is the weaker believer and why. Verse 2, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So Paul's saying, hey, the stronger believer is the one who understands his liberty to eat all things, and and the weak believer is the one who doesn't recognize that liberty and thinks, hey, to be spiritual, the only thing that you can eat are vegetables. Now, something I want to make clear is the difference between a strong and weak believer has nothing to do with food. It has nothing to do with what they eat, It has to do with what they believe about what they eat. Jesus made very clear that what you eat doesn't make you spiritual. Mark 7.15 says, There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him. Those are the things that defile a man. The religious leaders are saying, Hey, Jesus' disciples are eating without washing their hands. They're so defiled. And he's like, You guys miss it. It's not what you eat or the fact that you eat without clean hands that are ever going to defile you. You can eat whatever you want. It's what comes out of you, that wickedness and sinfulness in you that comes out. That's what truly defiles someone. So Jesus is making clear, it's not what you eat that makes you spiritual or makes you unspiritual. So eating whatever you want doesn't make you a strong believer. Eating only vegetables doesn't make you a weak believer. What makes you strong or weak is what you believe about those things and why. And as I just mentioned, these believers were strong or weak based on their understanding of their Christian liberty in this particular area. And So Paul says the weak believer, he's the one who's more rigid the one who's more strict, the one who's more legalistic in this area. Why? Because he doesn't understand his liberty. doesn't understand he has permission to eat more than just vegetables, and he struggles with that. Now, most likely, these weak believers did not see themselves as weaker. It's likely they thought they were the stronger ones. It's the Eating everything, people that are truly the weak ones. They're not the ones with the self-control. They're not the ones who, you know, can do what I can do and only eat vegetables. You know, usually people who are in this category of weak don't see themselves that way. They see themselves as the strong one. And this is something that legalism has a way of, you know, messing with the way in which we perceive things. Hey, if people aren't doing what I'm doing, they're weak and I'm strong. If people don't hold to you know, this you know, rigid view that I have, then they're weak and I'm strong. But that's not what the Word of God is telling us. Actually, the strong one is the one who realizes and enjoys their liberty, not the rigid legalistic one. Now, notice that Paul doesn't discuss the rights and wrongs of everything eaters versus vegetable eaters, because that's not really the, the issue. He kind of just shows, hey, this is a problem that you guys have, but let me get to the the heart of the problem. The real issue is your attitude and how you treat one another who have a different opinion than you on this particular issue. So Paul now is going to share two important principles, one directed to the strong believer and one directed to the weak believer here in verse 3. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So here, Baal reveals how each group should respond to the other group who differs from them. And so, the strong believers, this is how you should treat the weak believers, and you weak believers, this is how you should treat the strong believers. If you're a strong believer who realizes and understands your liberty and freedom in Christ, then you need to be one who doesn't despise that other person who is weak in their understanding of their liberty. The Greek word here translated despise means to regard as nothing, to look down upon, to have contempt for, to despise. You know, when someone doesn't recognize the liberty that they have A liberty that we understand that we do have, and especially if they are responding to us in this kind of legalistic way where they think, wow, you know, you're so ungodly because you're exercising this liberty, we oftentimes get to this place where we do despise them. We have this contempt, we look down upon them of, you know, how dare you, you know, have that view of me for just exercising the freedom that Christ has given me. And we can often get to this place of despising those who view something differently than us. But the challenge is, that's not how we should respond. That's not how we should see them. That's not how we should treat them. William Newell gives a great illustration for how strong believers should treat weaker ones. How a strong man loves to walk with a child, holding his hand gently and not ridiculing or scorning his weakness. Let us walk thus with weaker brethren. Yeah, you know, I like this illustration. I was reading this, I just think of, you know, holding the hands of my daughters, and obviously, you know, from a strength standpoint, I'm much bigger and stronger, and I don't scorn them of you know their weakness, and I love and enjoy just going hand in hand with someone that is small and, and weak and then and and you know, different of me, but it's it's a joy. And I love the picture of like, you know what? As a stronger people who understand our liberties, instead of just despising those who don't, let's go hand in hand and love them and walk with them and be able to have a relationship where we receive them into our life and not let that be an issue that hinders and keeps us from a relationship. The second principle for how we should treat others who disagree with us on issues the Bible isn't clear on is strong believers shouldn't despise Weaker believers. Now Paul goes on to say, And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. The strong ones who know their liberties have a tendency to despise those who don't understand their liberties. But when you reverse it, the weak ones who don't understand their liberties, who are more rigid and legalistic, who think this is the only way and anyone who goes beyond this is unspiritual, they have a tendency to judge those who exercise liberties that they feel shouldn't be exercised. And so Paul, speaking to these weaker believers, speaking to those who struggle in this area of recognizing their liberties, he says you need to be very careful not to judge those who are exercising liberties that you don't feel they should. Yeah, I know that you only want to eat vegetables. That's fine. But you know what? Just because your neighbor who's a believer eats meat, you shouldn't judge him for that. Because this is one of those areas where it's not a black and white God says, don't do it. This is your preference. And so don't try to push that onto them and judge them for not holding the same view that you do. I've been guilty of this in my life. You know, I grew up in a church that was very legalistic and I bought into that junk and, you know, I would just look at different people and, you know, first it was, you know, there was very much, even as a little kid, suit and tie, I had to come to church that way and if people didn't come dressed, you know, to their best... I thought, man, how unspiritual they are. If they don't have their Bible in their hand all the time, how unspiritual they are. If they're not raising their hands in worship, how unspiritual they are. And there's all these little things that I just looked, and they were my own little, hey, this is what makes you spiritual things, that I looked at other people who weren't meeting what I felt they should and judging them because I thought, look at you. How dare you dress that way in the house of God? And and look at you. You don't even have a Bible. I mean, what kind of Christian do you call yourself? And it was just this legalistic, judgmental, horrible attitude to others. And Paul warns us, don't be like that. Be careful not to judge others who don't hold that same strict view in that area where the Bible isn't clear on. So the third principle for how we should treat others who disagree with us on these issues where the Bible's not clear on is weak believers shouldn't judge stronger believers. And I'm going to emphasize that in areas where the Bible isn't clear on because the Bible doesn't give a blanket statement of we should never judge others. Because it's clear that the Bible does encourage us when there's black and white issues where the Bible's very clear on and someone's in sin, that we should come to them and we should address that. And so often we feel like I have no place to tell someone else who's a believer that they're doing something that's wrong. The Bible doesn't say that. But in this area where it's gray, where the Bible's not clear, well, we shouldn't be doing that because we have nothing to stand upon to say, well, God says this. Well, well, no, we don't know his view on that particular area. So we can't approach each other in that judgmental way. And now the reality is, you can't just say weak believers do that because all of us are guilty of judging others. The strong do it. Oh, I have this liberty, so I start judging you that you don't have the liberty to exercise it like me. And, oh, I don't feel like that liberty's you know something that you should engage in, and so I judge you for doing it. And so you know both groups are guilty of this. And so in verse four, Paul gives a reason why neither group should ever engage in this type of judging of others. Notice what he says. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Paul starts with a great question. If you're judging some other person because of you know this area where they differ than you and where God's word isn't clear, he says, you know what? Who are you to judge another's servant to his own master? He stands or falls? And you know, this would have been a very powerful illustration because the Roman Empire was full of slaves. And so he's saying, hey, who are you to judge someone else's servant or someone else's slave? But there's only one person that has that authority. That's the master. The master gets to judge whether they're doing what is right or what is wrong. The master gets to judge their behavior. That is not your role, because guess what? You're both servants. You're both in the same category. You're not the master. And too often in our Christian relationships, we act like it. Oh, I'm the master. You should just be like me. You should just follow what I think. No, we're both servants. We're both equal in the eyes of God. There's only one master, Jesus Christ. And so we need to realize, and Paul's saying, hey, who are you to think that you can judge someone else's servant? You're not the master. Jesus is the master. So stop doing that because Jesus is the one that they ultimately will stand accountable to. And these are issues that aren't clear. And just let Jesus deal with it. Don't judge them. David Guzik said this, There are a lot of useless, harmful divisions among Christianity over silly, bigoted things. Paul isn't telling these Christians to erase their differences. He tells them to rise above them as Christian brothers and sisters. And I think that's so important. It's not that we just say, well, we don't have a difference anymore. No, we do have it. We recognize we have a difference. We recognize we see things differently, but we don't allow that to hinder our relationship. We rise above those differences. And if I'm stronger, I don't despise you. If I'm weaker, I don't judge you. And I allow that to be something that enables us to continue on in our relationship. And notice here, I'll go back to verse 3. Both the weak and strong need to understand that something Paul says at the end of verse 3, for God has received them. The strong believer needs to be careful not to despise the weak believer. Why? God has received them. The weak believer needs to be careful not to judge the strong believer. Why? God has received them. And since God has received that other believer that we disagree with, hey, if God receives them, surely I should. If the master receives them, then the servant should also receive them. The fourth principle for how we should treat one another who disagree with us on issues the Bible isn't clear on is in verses 5-9. through nine. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he does not... Observe the day. To the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord. He does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living the other main issue an example that Paul brings out here is this issue about the days that they were to observe one person esteems one day above another another esteems every day alike really the question that they were struggling with is does something or does doing something on a certain day make you more spiritual? If celebrating a particular thing on a particular day, does that make you more spiritual than if you don't do that, if you see all days alike? And so there were some who said, oh, absolutely, that makes you more spiritual. And there were others who said, no, no, you know, all days are alike. Many Christians from a Jewish background They grew up celebrating the Sabbath. They grew up celebrating the Sabbath on Saturday. And they had a struggle in the early church of like, everybody should do this. You know, this is something that we've been ingrained, that it's such an important day, and it's more important than other days. And celebrating this on this day is the way to do it. And the early church changes it to Sunday. And oh, there cause a lot of problems. And oh, you're more spiritual if you do it on this day. And they also had the a background of a lot of feasts that they celebrated, and they saw those days as more important than doing those things on those particular days is what makes you more spiritual. While the believers said, you know what, you can celebrate things on any day. You can be godly by worshiping the Lord any day. You know, when Jenny and I were missionaries in Scotland, there were several years that we visited family in January, and so we missed Christmas with our relatives, and we decided, hey, we're going to have Christmas in January. We'll exchange gifts. We'll celebrate the birth of Jesus. We'll do it all in January. And I remember one believer saying to me, you can't do that. You can't celebrate Christmas in January. You got to celebrate Christmas on December 25th. And I had to break the news to him. Well, Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th, if that's your argument. But the reality is, hey, it's unspiritual to celebrate it any other day. It's this day that's the day that spiritual people remember Jesus's birth. And you can't be spiritual if you're going to do it in January. I said, well, that's fine. I I believe that any day that I take time to remember Jesus and celebrate him in any particular way is fine. I don't have to use December 25th as the day to make me spiritual. Now, Paul, again, doesn't deal with the issue of what day is better. He deals with the heart behind it. The first thing that Paul says is let each be fully convinced in his own mind. When it comes to these issues where the Bible's not clear on, instead of just being wishy-washy, he's saying, "Hey, it's good to have a view. It's good to be convinced. It's good to have conviction about a certain thing. Whether it's you know, hey, you should you know wear this or that or whatever. Have that conviction." But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the second thing he tells us to do. Once you're conv- uh, convicted, and convinced of something, do it unto the Lord. That's the real heart of this. Okay, first, have a conviction that this particular area where the Bible isn't really clear on, that's how I see it. And now as I see it that way, with that conviction, I'm going to do it unto the Lord. And you know what? If my conviction changes over the years and maybe my liberties grow over the years, well, now I'm going to pursue those liberties in the same way, unto the Lord. That's the heart of this. That's what he says in verses 6 and 7. Or verse 6, sorry. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. So Paul gives these two examples that he's been dealing with of what you should eat, what days you should celebrate, how you should do that. And he says, you know what? It all comes back to just doing it unto the Lord. If you have a conviction to observe something on a certain day or a conviction to only eat vegetables, then go with that conviction and do it unto the Lord. But if you have a different conviction that you can observe any day and that you can eat whatever you want, then fine, move forward with that conviction, but do it unto the Lord. And he goes on to say in verses 7 and 8, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He brings it back to such a very foundational reality for us as Christians. As Christians, we shouldn't be living for ourselves in anything. It all should be for Jesus. In every area of our life, we should be living for the Lord. So everything that we do, which includes these convictions that we have on areas where the Bible isn't clear, in those areas we should be living for Jesus, doing it to the Lord. But I think the main thing that Paul wants to make clear is that when both groups are doing things unto the Lord, then both are right before the Lord in those areas. They might differ in what they believe on these issues, that the Bible's not clear on, but if they're both doing it unto the Lord, that's what God desires. So the thing we need to realize is that other believers can be perfectly right with the Lord even when they differ from you in these areas where the Bible isn't clear. Even though they have a liberty that I don't feel like I have, or even though that they're stricter in an area where I feel like I have liberty. In these unclear areas, both of us Ultimately, it can be right before the Lord. And the Lord can be pleased with us if we're doing these things unto Him. So I can wear a suit to church and believe that is what is the spiritual way to dress. And I can do that unto the Lord. And God can be pleased with me as I do that unto Him. And then I could turn around and be someone else and I could come to church like I am in a jeans and a shirt and say that this is, in my view, right before the Lord. And I can do it unto the Lord. And God says, I am pleased with both of you. Because you're doing it unto me. And I don't really care if you wear a suit or if you wear jeans. What I do care is why you do it. Is it unto me? Are you approaching it in that way? I could believe that men should have short hair and, and keep their hair short and do it unto the Lord. And God's be like, I love your haircuts. And someone like Manny could say, you know what? I believe that the Lord's fine with me having long hair. And I have long hair. And I'm good with it. And I'm doing unto the Lord. And the Lord could say, great, I like that as well. And it's just realizing that, you know, we feel like, well, the Lord's only pleased with me because I'm the only one doing what's right. Instead of, you know what, on these areas where the Bible isn't clear, if my heart is right, I'm doing it unto the Lord. Then the Lord looks and says, hey, that's great. But he also does that with the other person. And so I need to realize that reality so that I'm not judging. So I'm not despising. William Barclay says this about this verse. Paul would have added something else to that. No man should make his own practice the universal standard for all other people. This, in fact, is one of the cures, the curses, sorry, of the church. Men are so apt to think that their way of worship is the only way. T.R. Glover somewhere quotes a Cambridge saying, whatsoever thy hand find it to do, do it with thy might. But remember that someone thinks differently. We would do well to remember that in a great many matters, it is a duty to have our own convictions, but it is an equal duty to allow others to have theirs without regarding them as sinners and outcasts. The fourth principle for how we should respond to others who differ from us on these areas where the Bible isn't clear. Those who disagree with our convictions on biblically unclear things, can be right with God if they are doing those things unto the Lord. Understanding this truth is so important because it will bring you to a place where it's like, why should I despise this person? Hey, it's okay that you know they don't understand their liberties right now. Maybe in the future they will, maybe they won't. But the bottom line is, they're doing this unto the Lord. And so I'm not going to despise it. I'm going to realize that the Lord sees and is pleased with them. And then the other way around, I'm not going to judge those when I feel like, man, they are exercising liberties that I don't feel comfortable exercising. But you know what? They're doing it under the Lord. And He sees that, and He's pleased with that, and so I am not going to judge them. I want to finish with what Paul shares in verses 8 and 9. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul says, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. And the reason that you and I are the Lord's, or for many reasons he created us, but ultimately Lord means master, and you and I make a choice to make God master of our life when we accept Jesus Christ. We bring him into our life. We confess our sins. We receive him and say, you are now my Lord. You are now my master. Jesus died for you. He died for me. He died for the person that you disagree with. For he is Lord now of both of us. And it's because he's the Lord. He's the master. He's the one who is ultimately in charge. We should be those as fellow servants when we disagree on these areas where it's not clear what the master view is, that we show love, that we're not despising, that we're not judging. Realize that even when they disagree with us on biblically unclear things, they can be just as right with God as we are if they're doing those things unto the Lord. It's really one of the best ways to handle this issue when you come across something that the Bible's not clear on and you're not sure, well, how do I respond to this person? Show them the love of Christ. Really, this is kind of just, you know, we just went through all that great challenge of love and now we get specific, but really, these are just practical ways in which we can demonstrate that love in this particular issue. Treat them as Jesus would. And I want to close this morning just taking some time to remember. What Christ has done to remember the sacrifice for us. You know, we do that so often, and it's great to look personally. What does Jesus do for me? How much He loves me? How much He sacrificed for me? But you know what? I think it's also important to realize that it just didn't just do it for me. You know, and we have a a body of believers here who Jesus sacrificed Himself for all of us, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And too often, We allow silly things to divide us, silly things to hinder fellowship. And we shouldn't do that. Jesus died that we could have fellowship with him, and he died so that we could have fellowship with one another. And as we remember that, let's remember the importance of breaking through these silly barriers that we so often put up in our relationships with others that have really nothing to do with God's word because it's not even clear what his view is. So I'm going to have the worship team come on up. We're going to pass out the communion elements as they lead us in a song of worship. And I just encourage you just to hold on to those elements. We'll take them together. And we're going to finish this morning um, having the Prantles who are going to be leaving. uh, Just a time to pray for them. This is going to be their last Sunday with us. Uh, And so let's just start remembering why we have this relationship, why we are able to have friendship and fellowship. It's all because of Jesus and what he's done. And so we're just going to hold on to these elements as they're passed out. Um, and then I'll come and we will partake of them together. But I just encourage you just to come before the Lord. If there are issues in your life that, you know, you haven't addressed, ten issues you haven't confessed, uh, this would be a good time just to repent of those, confess of those, ask for the Lord's forgiveness before you come and partake of communion.